When you bouncing, you are working it out. You are twerking, shaking, wiggling, wobbling, Peter panning, hustling. You are working it out, girlfriend. <laughs> and it's so ladylike. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline, let me set a little scene for you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So a little while back, when we were prepping to interview today's guest, Big Frida. The queen diva of bounce, yes. Mm -hmm. So to get myself in a Frida state of mind, I started listening to her newest EP, Louder, which came out in March. And Caroline, literally, as soon as the music hit my ears, it was like I was possessed. I just started dancing and yes, popping it and Mm. working it out and flailing my arms and my titties were flapping and it was like, yeah, because you know what? I also wasn't wearing a bra, thank you very much. And it was the most I had moved my body like that during this whole pandemic. I mean, girl, I'm impressed uh, because as you know, It takes an inadvisable amount of alcohol to get me dancing, but if Big Frida tells me to put my ass in the air, I'm gonna. My name is Big Frida, the queen diva, your best believer. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, and I am a bounce music superstar. So, um, for me, when I explain bounce... It's a New Orleans-based music that was is a subgenre of hip-hop. It's up-tempo. It's heavy bass. It's call-and-response-type music. It has a lot to deal with moving the body, shaking the ass, and making you sweat a whole lot. <laughs> that was a clip from Big Frida's 2013 single, Duffy, which is free to speak for Go Hard or Go Home. And y'all, that's exactly what she has done over the past 20 years to ascend the throne of Queen Diva of Bounce. Now, in case you aren't familiar with the genre, Bounce music was born in the early 90s in the New Orleans neighborhoods where Frida grew up. In 2005, those same neighborhoods were devastated by Hurricane Katrina. But instead of drowning out Bounce, the disaster set the genre and Big Frida on course for a breakout. And now, 15 years later, even if you don't know her by name, you have probably heard Big Frida's features on Beyonce's Formation or Drake's Nice For What. She's also collaborated with the likes of Diplo, Kesha, Lizzo, Iconopop. But regardless of how big Big Frida gets, you best to believe she'll always be a hometown girl. Until I die, I will rep. New Orleans and the people that have paved the way for me to even be in the position that I'm in. My city has always had my back. And uh, until until that changes, I'm going to rep them until the day I die. So today we're talking with Big Frida about the resilience of bounce music, the power of ass and where it all started. New Orleans. All right, babies. All right. All right. Calm down. We talked to Frida and her five dogs from her home in New Orleans. 
Yeah, so that's the five babies, honey. Rita, Sensation, Yancey, Royal, and Farrell. Four girls and one boy. And they are a hot mess right now because they in heat. It is some stuff going on in here. I'm ready to whoop all of them ass. (laughs) (laughs) Big Frida grew up in public housing in the city's third ward and was super close with her family and neighbors. As a kid, Frida pitched in with her mom's hairdressing business, helped her aunt organize second-line parades, and sang in her church's gospel choir every Sunday. When she was in middle school in the early 90s, a new genre called bounce was starting to pop off in her neighborhood. It sounded like hip-hop mixed with New Orleans brass band beats and Mardi Gras parade chants. Girl, they was planted like at the, you know, in our community and they was planted at the block parties and at like the, the middle school dances. And baby, you'll hear that beat come on and you'll hear that boom and you'll hear that trigger man. Or that brown beat. All them cheeky black claps. And you know the party was about to get started because everybody getting hyped and people starting to go crazy. All the girls starting to run and they starting to twerk. So I'm getting excited. Like I'm shaking right now. My legs are shaking and my hands are moving because I'm I'm picturing it back then. You know, I'm I have my hands on the floor and my feet on the wall and I'm upside down like shaking and it's just. When you heard it, it just was like infectious. Everybody just started to spread, you know, and we was just all, you know, in, in, in our own rhythm and in our own motion. Caroline, my legs are shaking right now, too, and I was not even there, not even close. <laughs> Same. So when Frida was around 20 in the late 90s, her longtime friend Katie Red emerged as the first trans bounce rapper and basically became the godmother of the genre. And watching Katie Red on stage really changed Frida's life. We were friends before she started doing the music. And to see her first doing the music, I was so happy and so excited because it's like, damn, my friend doing this. You know what I'm saying? And she the first gay girl in New Orleans. Like, this is big. This is a part of history. This is, you know, this is a a tone setter. It was the start of something new and, and fresh for her and us as friends and New Orleans and it, it was like an incredible moment. Like, I, I'm, I'm just glad to be a part of that moment. Frida started helping Katie out, dancing back up for her and helping her in the studio. Eventually, she started performing herself using a nickname a friend had given her, Big Frida. I was just like, I got to have a stage name that these girls is not going to forget. You know, I wanted to do something different, you know, that everybody wasn't doing. You know, we had already, we had Katie Red, we had Valkyrie do. I said, well, what's going to make me stand out different from them? So I, when I would do my stage introduction, I would say, this is the one and only Big Freedom of the Queen Diva, the dick eater, your best believer. And the crowd would just go crazy. They'd be like, <laughs> oh my God, did you hear her name? <laughs> Bitch, did you hear what she said, girl? She said she Big Freedom the Queen Diva, the Dick Eater, you better believe her, the late night creeper. (laughs) (laughs) 
When Frida was getting her start on the bounce stage alongside Katie Red, every night at the club was an event. Sometimes Frida was running clubs seven nights a week with a different theme every night, like everyone has to wear blue or sexy pajamas or camo. Everybody came in their camouflage gear. I had real trees and and netting hanging from the ceiling and green and black and tan balloons. And, you know, the, the cake was made out of soldier material. We had on combat boots and we had hats and, you know, we had everything like that. When we did a theme party, that's how it was. Everything was a theme. And, you know, even back then we had the drag show where we would have the female impersonator performers. I was the host and we would have all the different girls perform. And in, in between each performance, we would have a little rap break. It was called commercial break. And once the performer will finish performing, we'll say commercial break. And then the whole club would just bend over, you know, cause the, <laughs> the DJ going to drop the beat. You understand what I'm saying? Like the whole club, all the girls just got up and bent over. It was some epic shit that was happening back there. And then I'll come back on the mic and say, all right, all right, y'all hoes calm down. We about to bring out our next performer. Now bring it to the stage, the beautiful, the infamous Miss Katie Ray. And then Katie will come out in her long dress with her hair pent up. And she'll sing, you know, and everybody handing her dollars. And she's, you know, she's mesmerizing the crowd. So it was moments like that 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 we created to help continue to bring the people out and build the culture around what we did and what we loved and our music and our style and, and the people that loved it and, and supported us. I just kept performing and I kept getting better and better. My, my stages was my practice. My audience was my cheerleaders. So it, it was just moments that we had to keep going through to kind of develop our own lane and figure out you know, how we going to perform, what type of audience we going to bring in, you know, what they going to say about us being gay. But once the girls started to accept us all around, we had everybody because wherever the girls was, the guys followed. And <sighs> the girls of New Orleans is what helped us, what protected us and what made us become who we are. And then once we had approval from all the girls, you know what they say, where pussy follow the dick shall be right behind. <laughs> Got that sewn on a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> For real, though. What, what brought the girls out, though? The sound of the music brought the girls out, and it was the girls in our neighborhoods. Like, it was just word of mouth. Oh, girl, you heard that song by Big Frida? Oh, you heard that song by Katie Red? Girl, they got this new song. They saying this. They saying that. You know, and it's so it was just, like, infectious. You just like news. When news happen, when something happened on the news and it, it, it go from, you know, one state to another state, it's same thing kind of with the music. When something's buzzing, everybody talking about it. Well, you also said that the girls, they not only like came out because of the music and the sound, but they also protected you. What do you what do you mean they protected you? Well, the girls protected us because like if guys were, you know, wanting to like call us names and wanting to pick on us or fight us, the girls will stand up for us. The girls will be like, and we going to fight you. You know, like the girls had our back because 
every every girl has a gay friend. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times we had many girls at, at, and we were their only gay friend. It might be 20 girls and I'm the only gay boy. And you think that they're going to let anybody jump on me and they there with me? No. So it will be the girls had our back. The girls will be our protector. And even to this day, I've learned how to flip that in many ways when my girls are on stage with me, I protect them. I don't let people touch them. I don't let boys get on them. You know, I don't let people disrespect them. I let them feel, you know, free and be able to be liberated and express themselves on stage without being touched by anybody. So, yeah, we protect each other. Was that a skill that you developed over time in terms of kind of managing the audience and setting the tone of, like, the show that you wanted to have? Oh, yeah, that definitely took time. It took courage. Um, It took not knowing the outcome of what might happen of speaking what I felt, but I did it. And I said it on the mic, and everybody in the club will respect my mind. And they knew if I said it that I wasn't playing because the way that I said it and the command that I had in my voice, you knew that I I wasn't for no bullshit. So at the time that you were, like, working alongside Katie and throwing these parties, what were you figuring out about yourself and your own style and your own sound at the time? I was figuring out where my lane was, and that's why I created my lane with decorating and a certain style of rapping. I just was still figuring out confidence, and and I was always the business one, so... I always put the shows together. I always, you know, dealt with the money. I always, you know, dealt with the the bookings. At the end of the day, doing all of that stuff, the business was the most important part of it because it all had to get handled. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like the performance was the least part because I did that. That was just fun. That was the part that that came naturally. And we can say, "Uh uh-huh, and the girl's going to say, oh, yeah, these hoes, they mad. We just had that naturally. And they knew what to say behind us. So the business part was where where I was, you know, I was I was the goat at. I would be handling the business in the day and by night I would be rapping. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Big Frida flees New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and takes bounce with her. Stick around. We're back with Big Frida, the Queen Diva. What is it about New Orleans in particular, you think, that really helped grow bounce music? Um, I think it's just the the spirit of the people, you know, um, the spirit of the people, like the the vibe of the city um, helped to grow it. But also just when Katrina hit, um, the music spreaded like wildfires because we were displaced all over the world and people had an opportunity to hear our music from the New Orleans people that were stuck in those places. When the New Orleans levees broke in August 2005, Hurricane Katrina floodwaters rushed into the city's low-lying, porous neighborhoods, the same neighborhoods where Frida and Bounce Music were born. 
Give me line five. Uh, Freddie in Lakefront. Freddie, you're on WWL. We're like under nine feet of water here. We're trying to get out. We have a baby. There's five of us. We're very frightened. This is Big Frida on the phone with New Orleans radio station WWL. We're just trying to get out of here. We we have we opened the attic. We 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 punched a hole in the attic. The the helicopter keep passing us. Though it was like four houses over. You have some way to signal the helicopter? Um, we have candles and we have a little lantern that we keep on raising up. They have flashlights, but they're still not safe. I guess their light is overcast in our light. And is the water rising anymore? Yes, it's, we're on the second floor, and it's it's like two steps from inside the, the whole house on the second floor. I got you. Uh, I'll cross my fingers and say a prayer, Fred. You know, but do whatever you can do to attract the attention of that helicopter, and they should be passing this information along. Good luck to you. Godspeed. Thank you. Thank you. Frida and her family's efforts to flag down that helicopter were unsuccessful. Eventually, a boat came to rescue them and dropped them off on some dry land. And once we got off the, the boat, we started walking to another area, and then it started flooding again. And they had this tall man in front of us, about seven feet tall. And this was a nothing but God. The man was walking in the water, and as the man kept walking, we were walking behind him. And I, I kept saying, the man either getting shorter or sh- and shorter, <laughs> or the water getting taller and taller. And <laughs> lo and behold, the water was rising, and the man was getting lower and lower. Another boat came along and dropped them off under a bridge where they had to sleep for the night. The next morning, yellow school buses picked them up and took them to the Superdome. From there, Frida and her brother decided to split up to find food. My brother went one way, I went one way. We said we're going to come back here in 15 minutes. I never saw my brother again until months later. So imagine just Mm. going through that, not knowing where your brother at. The uh, Coast Guards are riding around. They're shooting people who are coming up to them the wrong way. You know, they got dead bodies on side the road with sheets covered, uh, covering them. They got old people in wheelchairs on side the road dead. It was just some stuff to see. And I, I wouldn't want to go back to it. You know, uh, I wouldn't want to go back to those moments. When Frida was finally able to evacuate the city, things didn't exactly get easier. She was shuffled all over the place, put on a cargo plane to Arkansas, sent to an army base and then a campground, and then eventually reconnected with her mom and extended family at an old family house out in the country. Well, briefly. I was just like, I cannot do this country. I have to go. (laughs) I'm going to Houston, Mama. I am. I will see you when I see you. (laughs) That's when I started to re-get my life together in Houston. You know, I started to get a little furniture, got me an apartment, you know, brought me a vehicle, and I started to perform and and start to rebuild my life. People were asking, oh, what kind of dance that is? What kind of music that is? Can you teach me about that? Oh, I like that. You know, it would be all of, I even had the Mexican girls in in, in Houston and the Spanish girls, you know, like, oh, baby, I like that. Oh, come on, papi, teach me what that is. They were tweaking to hear a New Orleans song or they wanted to hear a bounce song in the club 
you know, we were going out to all these different places, but we wanted to hear our music. So we would give it to the DJs. You know, DJs started emailing stuff. They started selling CDs in the different clubs. People were asking different areas, oh, what kind of dance that is? You know, so it was those moments like that that really got the music to a whole different place because everybody all over the world from New Orleans was representing the culture and wanted to hear the sound of New Orleans. And and, and it, it spread it. It spread it big. About a year later, as Bounce was spreading big, Frida moved back to New Orleans. But her hometown had changed. The hurricane had driven out half the city and whole neighborhoods were practically wiped out. It was very, you know, traumatizing to see the hurt, to see just the pain and suffering that the city was going through at the time. But it was just like anything else New Orleans do. We prevail over a lot of different things and we just started to rebuild and we started to clean the city and we wanted to, you know, rebuild our lives. So just like it did at Frida's neighborhood block parties growing up, Bounce music started bringing folks together again to work it out. <laughs> yeah. As soon as she got resettled, Frida started FEMA Fridays at Club Caesars, which was the first nightclub in New Orleans to open back up after Katrina. Everybody had a little FEMA money, all a little Red Cross money. So, child, it was going down. The club would have lines around the corner, you know, people from wall-to-wall packed, You know, people buying bottles and people, you know, new outfits and jewelry and their hair done and their hair cut and new shoes. Everybody looking all fly. And it's funny to imagine everyone getting, like, obviously all done up to go out. But I would imagine everyone left a sweaty mess. Oh, most definitely. (laughs) Like, you know, you had people that came and just were look. Even just being there looking, you were sweating because the club was so packed from wall to wall, you had no choice but to sweat. It you, it was it was hot in the club. It didn't it didn't matter if you looked cute or not. You came in with your hair and barrel curls, and when it came down, you had furrow curls because they had them <laughs> fell down. <laughs> you know. We're gonna cool off and take a quick break. When we come back, Frida bounces back big time and we rejoice in the power of ass. Stick around. We're back with Big Frida, the Queen of Bounce. Now, little Frida had dreamed of becoming a famous gospel singer. When she was about 10, Frida was captivated by the singers at this little brick Baptist church in her neighborhood. Their robes, their moves, their sound. She joined that choir and eventually became her high school's choir director, too. That was my life. I mean, (laughs) just the way that we sung, the way that we represented ourselves, the way that our choir was structured with the moves. You had to sit a certain way. You had to turn a certain way when we all, you know— winning together as a choir. Just imagine you have this choir that's coming, but it's like this miniature army that's doing everything in sync together, sitting down, standing up, turning. Like, it it was a big thing. So how does performing in a gospel choir compare to performing bounce on stage? Well, I have a lot of similarities um, that I kind of compare 
I'm kind of doing still the same thing. Like when I was back then, I was directing choirs where people will open their mouths by the sound of my hand and my voice. Now I'm directing asses where if I tell you shake this way, you shake that way, you know. So it's still the same kind of feeling, just a different music. I, I still feel a lot of things that I can I can remember from church that I still could see at my shows where, you know, a person might catch a moment and they're they going off on stage. Same thing at church. A person might catch the Holy Spirit and they going off on a pew. So it's a lot of different comparison that kind of still have similarities. You understand? Mm-hmm. So you've described Bounce as musical rejoicing through the power of ass. That's right. So what is the power of ass and why, why does bouncing your ass have so much power? Well, it, it's when the beats start knocking and the booms start rolling, you got to move and your feet start to move, your hips start to move, but it's just something about when the ass move. People go, wow, it's just, it, it's it's powerful. You know, you know, people look at the ass when they're looking at people anyway. They want to see their figure and, and they want to see the way they shape and how big the ass is. Is it small? Is it big? You know, so it draws people's attention just normally. You know what I'm saying? When you're looking at somebody, you're probably going to look in the face first, you gonna, and then you're going to go to the waist. Cute in the face, slim in the waist. You know, <laughs> cute in the face, big in the waist, whatever it is. So you're drawn to it either way it go. But when the music come on and you do something with it, it just it makes people say, wow, and mouths start dropping and, you know, the party get to jumping. It's nothing like an ass party. I want that on a T-shirt. <laughs> Girl, go ahead now. <laughs> Ain't that hot? Nothing like an ass party. You heard yeah. it here first. <laughs> Now, wherever there's Big Frida and bounce music, there's twerking. But wherever there's twerking and white folks, there's likely cultural appropriation. Specifically, in 2013, when Miley Cyrus went viral for her ass-shaking at the MTV VMAs and later released a single with Justin Bieber called Twerk. What was it like to see, uh, speaking of ass parties, what was it like to see twerking kind of go mainstream a while back um it was fun to see it go mainstream you know to a certain degree but it also was a little disappointing that it didn't come from the right source Mm. because you know back then i was grinding and i was already twerking and shaking my ass all over the world making people aware of the culture and then here comes little miss molly cyrus thinking that she hasn't, you know, set the tone or something. But they've been twerking for many decades now. And it's a style of music and dance that comes from West India, Africa, which is called Mapuka, that the black tribal women has been shaking that ass for a long time, honey. And they they banned those videos and some of that stuff from back then where these ladies could not, you know, put it out and people can see their 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 tribal rituals and and things that they've done you know what i'm saying like i'm not the person who definitely created it but i definitely am one of the pave wares of bringing the culture of new orleans around the world and the style of twerking that we do especially back in that time when molly was um was you know calling herself twerking 
Now, that same year, Miley tried to claim twerking as her own. Frida set the Guinness World Record for most people twerking simultaneously with 358 asses shaking in New York's Herald Square. How do you feel? You're holding this in. I saw you. you sweating. I'm excited. I am so overwhelmed that this happened today and that we were way over 250. I'm just so excited to be representing New Orleans and to make this happen here in New York today. You just witnessed history, people. Big Frida and these dancers just set the Guinness World Record. What's been the most rewarding and the most challenging thing about being Big Frida? The most rewarding um the love and support that has been the most rewarding thing the most challenging thing is um being so known mm. <laughs> you know it's it's a challenge being so known is <laughs> like there's no you know real there's really no moment to yourself you understand what i'm saying it's it's kind of hard to i got to really like go and shelter myself when I want moments to myself because once I step out into the public I'm 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 a public figure and it it becomes you know they don't want to hear you you're having a bad day or you know you're going through something uh you know it, it's it's all smiles and haze and highs and you know and and people just don't understand it as artists you are human beings and you go through stuff as well and who want to get dressed up every day to, you know, take pictures. And so it just becomes a challenge, you know, it it, com- it becomes a challenge and you have to know how to balance and still show love and be kind to your fans. So in your single Chasing Rainbows, uh, you talk about praying for your enemies. Do you? And and why? Yes, I do. Because God said that he will make your enemies bow to your footstool. And a lot of times you have to keep your enemies closer than further. Because if you have them close, you kind of know what, what, what they're doing and what their plans are. But I just pray for them that they they change their, their ways and their mindset and their thinking. And that God bless them to do something different and no, because I'm not sitting at home worrying about my enemies. I pray for them and keep it moving. Yeah, what what role does faith play for you just in your daily life and also... You hear me, girl. Everything is church. It, that's <laughs> every day. Wake and bake. Uh, stay a prayer and keep it pushing. You know, pray and push. That's me every day. That's Faith has a big part. Uh, I come from the church. You know, I... Everything is on faith. The faith, the size of a muscle seat can move a mountain. So that's me every day. You know, you pray when you wake up. You pray when you go to sleep. So we ask all our guests this final question, and it is, what is the most unladylike thing about you? The most unladylike thing about me. Girl, y'all want me to be real with this one? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the big package I have between my leg is the most unladylike thing I have, girl. <laughs> Y'all is too funny. <laughs> Even though COVID is keeping her close to home, Big Frida the Queen Diva is everywhere, y'all. 
Her new EP Louder is out now, and she has a documentary about gun violence called Frida Got a Gun that premieres on Peacock on October 15th. And her memoir, Big Frida, God Save the Queen Diva, is coming out in paperback on December 1st. And y'all can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unladylike Media. And did y'all know yet? You can directly support us by joining our Patreon. You'll get ad-free bonus episodes with lots of listener advice and recaps and all sorts of fun at patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. Nora Ritchie is a senior producer of Unladylike. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. This episode was edited by Abigail Keel. Shruti Marate transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing is by Andy Christens. Sound design and additional music is by Casey Holford and Andy Christens. Executive producers are Chris Bannon, Daisy Rosario, and Unladylike Media. This podcast was created by your hosts, Caroline Irvin and Kristen Conger of Unladylike Media. Next week... The anti-abortion movement has not successfully overturned Roe, but they've made Roe meaningless in more and more communities across the country. So the right to abortion exists on paper, but what does it mean if there's no clinic near you and you can't travel anywhere and um, you have to wait so many days and, and you know, you can't use your Medicaid? Like, so what? It's an abstract right that actually has no meaning in your, your life. That's been their strategy over the last few decades. We're talking to Amy Hagstrom-Miller, CEO and founder of Whole Women's Health Clinic, about how to build an abortion clinic. You don't want to miss that episode or any episode in our new season. So make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike. Find us in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, got a problem? Get Unladylike. And put on some Big Frida, really. Don't be unladylike, Yuri me. Stitcher.